0: Welcome to the first episode of the Dank Hour here on Resonate Radio. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. We have a bunch of brilliant minds in the Canadian cannabis industry here to discuss a few different things today. Today, primarily, is powdery mildew and botrytis. So sit back, fire one up, and enjoy the conversation here on the Dank Hour and Resonate Radio. Have a wonderful day, everyone.
1: We will start this, uh, this show right now as we get the Dank Hour started. I'm going to quickly change my photo here because we are no longer setting up the realm. Welcome to Get Growing Together, everybody, where we get experts and chat about some of the dankest subjects in cannabis. We have an, a very exciting episode scheduled for you all today. We were very excited talking about it. I tell you what, just the production meeting for this specific episode went um, uh, over a good hour, so we're very excited to be bringing this to you, and we have a lot of very fun, very interesting things coming up in the future, such as interviews with some amazing people in the, in the series. We're looking at doing an educational series on kind of what it's like to work in the industry um, and interviewing people like recruiters we're going for all sides and we hope to share some amazing stuff and some amazing things going on in the world of cannabis so get growing together it's about community so today's awesome subject that we're going to be talking about is bud powdery mildew and bud rot be gone we're going to start and talk about prevention um, for the first portion of the episode. Then we're going to chat uh, in the middle portion of the episode about uh, what to do if you have the issue. and We'll tail off with a couple tips and tricks um, to deal with the issue and, and if you're going through a powder mildew or a bud rot issue. Again, this is a recorded podcast, so we like to keep it as a panel discussion for a panel uh, of experts. And Then after we finish the show, we open up to the garden party where we open up a Q&A and invite everybody to come up on stage and join us uh for an amazing conversation usually those go quite late though sometimes they can be a little bit shorter so definitely come in and join us for it's i a i'm really excited to be here so Corey, we are recording and good to go uh yes
0: yes sir most definitely
1: we're gonna take that as
0: yes sir we're good to go sorry a couple of different buttons i have to hit to go on mute there for your brother i appreciate it (laughs)
1: No problem. I will take a little bit more time when referring to you. Again, this is the Dank Hour. If you like what you hear or you find value in any of the conversation that we have during this point in time, don't be afraid to... Uh, follow our moderators, join the club. We do many different shows and have a lot more content coming in the pipeline. And we have many more fun things going on as well. So follow so you can keep track of what's going on. And don't forget to invite some other people in that would be in in enjoyment of this conversation. I know anybody growing cannabis in the Pacific Northwest or pretty, I think, anywhere in, in, in North America right now or in the Northern Hemisphere will have a huge value in this conversation talking about powdery, mildew, and bud rot prevention and control but let's start with introductions Manny do you want to get us started and introduce yourself to the group we'll go through the whole panel um, and then uh, jump over into our subject for a matter for today
2: go ahead okay hey, certainly so I'm Manny de Silva from Ontario Canada I am the founder of uh, forest farms we're a, a micro cultivator microprocessor um, about to get our license uh, hopefully sooner than later it's been it's been quite the while. Um, I dabble in uh, all things cannabis, in, including um, uh, consulting for licensing as well as consulting for uh, facilities and uh, getting people up and running and you know, finding uh, solutions to their problems. And uh, I'm really happy to be here amongst this wonderful group of people and looking forward to hearing from uh, the rest of the panel.
1: Awesome. RJ, I usually like to swing by you last because you are uh, usually driving home at this point in time. If you're available, you're welcome to flash mic and and introduce yourself now. Otherwise, I can roll through. Go ahead. Hey, everyone. My name is RJ
3: Ellis. I'm an extraction and process specialist with Canada's leading third-party extraction company. Um, Yeah, don't really have a lot going on for this conversation other than me learning a lot too, so I'm stoked to be here and can't wait for this uh, awesome conversation.
1: Well, oh, uh, I've got some good pointed questions for you on your end of the business as well, which I'll be excited to poke on. Not say too, too crazy, but we'll definitely want your opinions on a few things. Ashley, welcome. I'm excited. I got to, everybody, I got to meet Ashley for the first time during our production meeting this week. Um, I've heard of a delightful conversations and everything being had. I'm very excited to introduce Ashley Hubbard. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody in the audience?
4: Yeah, guys. Hey, uh, my name is Ashley Hubbard. I am the Director of Cultivation at a Michigan facility. We grow um, fully aeroponically, so no media. Uh, I've been in the industry since I graduated uh, with my Master's in Plant Genetics seven years ago. started as a trimmer and worked my way up.
1: Awesome. You're up next, Josh. Hey, everyone.
5: I'm Josh Virk. I've uh, been a part of the cannabis community for quite some time. I've also worked in the cannabis industry here in Canada uh, for several years. I worked in uh, research and development um, on molecular breeding projects, um, looking to make uh, uh, markers for uh, marker-assisted breeding uh, for various traits after um, sequencing and, you know, mapping the genome. Um, so I have a little bit of insight into the, the PM problem, um, but uh, yeah, I just excited to be here and, ex- and uh, thank
1: you. <laughs> awesome. And uh, our very lovely Anita is joining us.
6: Hi everyone. I'm Anita. Um, I uh, come to the cannabis market actually from uh, from a, initially as a patient um, and I started working in in that space um, as an advocate um, and with patient advocacy groups here in Ontario. Um, I'm Canadian. Um, I'm an amateur grower as well as part of my medical uh, um, journey Uh, but I also had a brain uh, injury and so that's how I was introduced to um, the medical side of, of cannabis and um, but as I grew to love it more and more I started writing about it I started speaking about it um, and now I'm in the um, cannabis uh, sales and marketing side um, customer engagement and experience uh, mainly so that's what I'm doing and, and focus with in the Canada space of course because uh, it's very different than a lot of the times with the American uh, side or elsewhere so um, we move focusing on that right now, and uh, that's what I'm doing and uh, where I'm at, but I'm really excited about this topic because it's ruined my first few crops (laughs) Um, not knowing what to do, so I'm really excited about this, so glad to be here.
1: It's a a very fun and exciting topic, I'm very excited to chat about it as well, Uh, I know it's a big challenge in this part of the world. Corey, welcome, how are you, Resonate Radio, welcome to the stage, go ahead.
0: Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all again. My name is Corey. I'm a principal managing partner of Resonate Cannabis Incorporated. Uh, we're primarily working in the wonderful country of Portugal right now. And uh, this topic is extremely interesting for me because I'm going to have crops exposed uh, to the great outdoors once again. Uh, it's been a little while at the, at the large scale for that. So uh, really excited to uh, dive into this one today. And as a reminder, we am saying a quick hello to everybody on YouTube and Twitch. We are live broadcasting uh, to everybody out there. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to everybody through Resonate Radio that's joining us over there as well.
1: Awesome. Well, that is super exciting. <clears throat> Sorry, it has been a whirlwind of a day here in Vancouver, BC. It is beautiful and sunny out. We have a little bit of dreary weather coming up very soon this fall, and as we run into this period of time, we run into problems of powdery mildew. It becomes a major, major issue, and it is the vein of many growers' existence, and it is a major, major problem. Uh, bud rot being it's it's the cousin, the devil of the cousin, and and often. Uh, consuming a large amount of plants, I've seen I've seen one little speck of powder mildew or bud rot take up an entire plant and just destroy it. So it's a very exciting conversation that we'll be running through today. Now, I'd like to kind of start right off the bat. There are a few products out there now. What is what? I'm going to start with targeting uh, Manny for this one. What? causes powdery mildew because as we as we, we may or may not be aware unless you're running a, a carbon filter intake or like a hepa filter into your uh growth tent or if you're growing outside uh mold and pollen spores are in the air at all times like they're they're present regularly at a very small part per million it's just naturally occurring uh, so manny what causes these spores and if this is in the air all the time how come i only get mold sometimes and what how does that work exactly
2: so the easiest way for me to explain that is um, when well, let's talk about indoor first and and it kind of applies to outdoor as well so when it goes dark or when the lights shut off temperatures will drop for short periods of time as the temperature drops, the air is going to hold less water, so it is released into the environment. So this can result in microcondensation and pockets of high humidity, which sets the stage for exactly what you were talking about, spores. And spores will germinate um, in that environment. The spores can be brought in on your clothing, they can be brought in on shoes on a, a variety of things. Outdoors, obviously, because, uh, you know, you're open air. Spores are in the air all the time. Uh, some plants are a little more resilient than others, uh, or resistant, I should say, to, uh, to, to powdery mildew sp- spores. Uh, so they don't get it as well. But certain plants will be more susceptible to it. So that's really the root cause of, uh, of powdery mildew.
0: So,
1: in general, it would be pretty well agreed that if you have a healthy, strong, optimally grow- growing plant with good climate that you won't run into that problem even with powdery mildew mold spores in the air it's kind of like when we germinate a seed uh, or a cannabis seed we want those good ideal temperatures that good amount of oxygen uh, that good amount of air flow we want those right conditions uh for that seed to germinate now we don't want to create those right conditions for cannabis or powdery mildew so uh josh other than, you know, hunting through a specific genetic, what are some actions that you take or things or or steps that you do as an active prevention for powdery mildew or molds in your space? What, what do you think is like the number one thing uh, that you would probably suggest every person to maintain doing?
5: Oh, well, I mean, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, so I, I would definitely suggest running as clean a room as possible. Um, indoors, um, you know, having a good IPM strategy is, you know, really the best way to go. Like in veg, you can, you know, I, I run a organic li- uh, living soil. Um, there are, you know, sprays, like I use a, a spray called Regain. Uh, just some plant oils, basically, that, uh, you know, it's safe for the plant, you can, you know, spray them on and spray it safe for the, the bugs that I have in there, the beneficials, um, you know, and it, it helps protect the plant. Um, there's other things like uh, EM1 that uh, I'll spray on them as well every now and again. Um, currently, I personally don't use Trichoderma because um, I use a lot of mycorrhiza. but um, Trichoderma is another one if uh, someone, you know, is running, you know, a synthetic uh, grow, if you're using Trichoderma, they... It's a fungi that uh, really helps prevent powdery mildew. Um, but the thing is with, with cannabis, uh, depending on, you know, that strain or that phenotype's level of, you know, resistance, um, if it comes into contact with PM, like some of them will be considerably worse than others. Um, so, you know, picking out which one of those are and, you know, p- putting your IPM, Kind of strategy based on that specific strain when you're growing it uh, is very important. Um, Yeah, thanks.
1: So, so I'm interpreting that as the most important thing would be to do a a weekly or 10-day cleaning schedule where you rip up and clean out the whole space take everything out of it if possible i mean if you're working in a bed you're only going to be able to mitigate that so much and moving stuff around so much but ideally you what would be your frequency of doing a deep clean of your space in, in your opinion uh in my tent at home i, I do a pretty good clean
5: once a week uh, the spray i do once a week as well um unless i do notice a, a problem um at times in the past um because I've done, you know, selections where I've allowed powdery mildew to come into the space so that I can uh, gauge the level of resistance in the population. Um, I, you know, with the the product that I use there, the Regan, um, I'll use it, you know, two days in a row, and then I'll give it, you know, another uh, a day, you know, in between, and then I'll use it again on the, the second day, and then on the third. Um, and then back to that weekly schedule and that, you know, generally will wipe out the population um that said you have to you know clean the entire tent when you when you do that because you know the powdery mildew will rest on you know the fans and the you know the walls in the tent you know if you you know just clean it once you know you'll kill what's you know there but then you know something else will you know fall from you know the lights or something and then reinfect and you know for powdery mildew spore you know, once it's germinated, you know, it takes three to five days before you'll see a visible colony. Um, and like Penny was saying, those, those temperatures and humidities, mm-hmm. uh, 19 degrees is, like 19 and a half degrees is powdery mildew's favorite temperature and it will grow the fastest at that temperature. And anything over like a 60% humidity, if it's infected, will, you know, increase that rate as well. Um, So, I mean, if you can increase the temperature in there every now and again, um, like for a very short period of time because plants will not like it if you do it very, very long, uh, you can help reduce that uh, 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 growth rate.
2: Just to add on to what Josh was was saying, um, powdery mildew will not survive above 35 degrees. Um, That's important to know, I know a lot of people uh, in the industry, will uh, run their rooms to thirty-five for a short period of time every day in order to kill off any uh, any PM spores that are within the room. And he's absolutely right. I mean, um, your your temperature and your humidity, and the swings between your temperature and humidity from light to dark are extremely important too. You have to maintain no more than a four to five percent differential because if you don't. That's where powdery mildew will will uh, appear as well.
1: So I, I just swing it over a little bit now. Ashley, you're you're growing in aeroponics now. That is going to create a very interesting dynamic when it comes to managing humidity. Now, uh, now, where you're located is probably very, very dry. Could you talk a little bit and let us know a little bit about your IPM schedule, for uh, your IPM kind of regiment for uh, your particular environment? I know it might be a little bit different. I'm very excited to kind of hear.
4: Yeah, so um, just a little bit of how our tables are set up. So I have a reservoir from each row row will water nine tables deep. Um, so it's always really interesting. I can look at my environmental sensors and where those we call them matriarchs or the matriarch reservoirs are. I'm always probably 5% higher on my RH. Now, naturally in Michigan, it's not too humid, but we luckily use um, glycol chillers. So I am um, big proponent, big believer in HEPA filters. Quite honestly, I've been very fortunate to not deal with too much, particularly surprisingly in aeroponics. You know, you would think that you would have a, a with it, but strong supporter of HEPA filters. We do also have some photocatalytic lights in our rooms that are killing active floating spores. But we, uh, if we do see any, we like to use all of BioSafe's products so if we see anything we know xeritol can kind of remediate it but um, I've heard a lot of good things about oxyphos um, that that growers will put on as a preventative and um, a treatment spray it's phosphoric acid and h202 um, I know you can spray that quite honestly I think every every week if not bi-weekly but Powdery mildew is an oomycete, so the worst is interesting. It can either be taken up in the roots or it can land on the tissue and then kind of colonize that. Um, so I always kind of teach people it's kind of like a mushroom. You know, you have all that mycelium under the ground. That's why sometimes spot treating um, is problematic because as soon as those conditions arise again that are optimal uh, – just this oxy that actually increases the vents. <laughs>
1: oh you're cutting in and out really bad there actually is that just me or is-
2: no she was cutting in and out quite quite uh, frequently
1: start 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 Sorry, up no. on that last you're good you're good now start up on that last statement that you were just you were just
4: oh so i was just saying that the oxyfaucet kind of increases the plant's natural defense so if they do have kind of some um mycelium or anything kind of germinated within that plant tissue it helps them kind of fight that off systematically so heard great things about it but um just ours was zero tall touch treatment if we do if we do see it but
1: Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's also, if you scope the forums out there and see what people are doing for powder mildew resistance, there are so many things. I mean, if you walk into a hydroponic shop here in Vancouver, BC, it is a wall of of products and offerings to prevent or to deal with the the powdery mildew issue and what everybody wants to avoid is spraying on flowers or putting chemicals on their flowers or spraying their plants with all this stuff but if we look at doing the right things in the right way i think there's there's an appropriateness here that can be taken um, and using the right Products. Uh, there's definitely a cleanliness factor that has to be played in. Um, without a clean facility, you're just going to run into issues over and over and over again. I do find that I think there's a really important point to touch on that Ashley that Ashley stated is that that powdery mildew is is a mycelium. It's a bacteria. It's going to grow a lot like that. so when you have it if you are running like for example a lot of times when people switch from uh, uh inorganic or they're doing just a salt hydroponic completely or like hydroponic system and then they switch over to organics and they put in a bed and they do their first bed with all this life and all this variation of bacteria and all these variable points and that i often find is where the first hiccup happened in indoor growing when you switch over to these organic ingredients and and it's not because they're, they're, there's nothing wrong with them, but what happens is, is that people don't understand that these powdery mildews can be contained within the root soil and system, and that you have to start creating an active approach at preventing them. Things like uh, bacteria, uh, bacillium streplil, I, I, I'm not pronouncing that right at all, and, and I'm, I'm, I apologize for that, it is an excellent active bacteria and teas and kind of outpopulating is uh, a great method for the organic grower when it comes to kind of keeping that issue on. I've seen it where I've dipped plants myself um, and and had one plant dip it uh, and and let powder mildew hit a group of plants and see the one plant that was dipped in like a, a active aerated compost tea with lots of bacterial structure in it. And I've seen that plant be able to completely fend off the powdery mildew do not completely fend off but it's overpopulated on it now Corey and i were in an interesting discussion the other day because there are a plethora of ingredients and stuff out there of people saying to use And we, we touched on a very interesting one Corey, are you available i would love to chat about copper grow if you have a
0: yes i am here to chat about that interesting snake oil product for sure All right, so as as, as
1: if anybody who hasn't seen it, there's also a product called Harvest Miracle, or Copper Grow, Um, and they are uh, essentially a copper-based foliar product that can be used in the root system, and their big push and their big thing is, I, I have a bottle, I have a sample bottle here. Um, Copper growers specifically formulating maximize yields and overall plant health and should be used as an additive to your regular fertilization program. Now, that being said, we all know copper and the main components, copper, nitrogen and sulfur are all components of the plant code. But what are we doing when we're talking about, you know, these bottles say up to like 50 milliliters per liter of this solution um and and spraying that all over our plants what is that doing what what does copper benefit or what's going on here and can this cause toxicity or copper toxicity by spraying these type of chemicals what's your thoughts on this corey
0: yeah it's been interesting especially in it seems there's been a a a real lockdown in the pacific northwest of this product uh, making an appearance in various different grow rooms and operations Uh, And it's really led to some troubling things, you know, with plant health that's out there. Uh, You know, again, just for, you know, what is being said about it is that copper is essentially this miracle that's going to, you know, help the plant, uh, you know, not get powdery mildew at your key times and going to reduce botrytis when it counts. And, you know, there's a, a, I think the worst, you know, situation that I've seen was somebody really, really bought into this uh, and they purchased a couple of pallets uh, of this stuff and on the label it's saying to put you know half of a milliliter per liter and they're moving uh, at about six milliliters Uh, they're doing foliar sprays of it you know they're just going all in on this theory that copper is going to be the ultimate protection Uh, and so when you you know kind of break it down for them a little bit do some leaf tissue analysis and really see that you know the copper readings that they're having on these plants is probably the reason why everything is not working out for them uh, inside of their grow area and kind of understanding, you know, and explaining what the copper deficiencies are for plants uh, is one, you know, probably the thing is the biggest one that I've seen, you know, happening so far. But for me, you know, on that, uh, horticultural level, the nutrient level for me, I, I and this is kind of the question that I throw out and just making sure of, because, you know, for me, copper is immobile. Um, it doesn't move through uh, those tissues and so when you're going to use it for example as a foliar feed I think it's a really good example of where you know unfortunately um, some growers are really sold into you know I love what we've been talking up here about is you know a lot of talk about the environment and cleanliness like those are more important than you know just having something in a bottle that's going to you know quote unquote, get rid of your problem uh, that you have. I don't think, you know, really there is anything uh, that can do that uh, for anybody. So, yeah, you know, I would really, you know, for me, again, I you know, not to echo what everyone's out here saying or just repeating it, but again, the, the cleanliness for me is really the biggest thing, uh, you know, with it. I would rather see a really stringent or even, you know, even doing an extra cleaning event in a room when you don't necessarily need to. I'd rather see that happen than, you know, investing the money into, you know, snake oil in a bottle uh, where it's not going to lead you down the right path. So it just seems that that, uh, you know, that pattern is, is is happening up here in the Pacific Northwest.
2: I think, Corey, it's, it's societal that people automatically, when they have an issue, that they want something that's quick and easy, comes in a bottle and, and it's going to clear out their problems for them. The problem is that, as you know, if their uh, level of cleanliness in their environment aren't corrected first, you know, by adding all of those um, sprays and and and, and uh, additives, you're you're not you're not helping the plant at all. You're actually creating toxicity within the plant. And you're absolutely right about the copper. I I've seen this before where uh, people have thought that that was such a great product because of the copper, and it causes toxicity to the plant and creates a whole host of other problems. Um, People have to stop being uh, lazy and start um, controlling their environments better and putting programs in place to keep everything clean. Um, Josh has been to my facility and he can he can attest that you know we're squeaky clean i'm i'm adamant about being cl- about being clean and uh, anita's been to my facility as well and knows that you know we have uh, a a level of cleaning and uh, a regimen that we follow all of the time you know whether that's with visitors or with the staff but we want to make sure that we're not contributing to the ill health of the plants that we're actually giving them the best possible life that uh, that we can. So thank you for saying that, Corey.
4: Hey, guys, really quick. If you click on my profile picture, that is actually the life cycle of PM and kind of how it can germinate.
1: I was going to throw that out there. I saw you pop that into the PTR, guys. Really awesome, awesome piece there. Did you want to run through or Actually, just hold on one second. We'll introduce Jameson. Welcome to this stage. I appreciate you making the time today. How are you doing, brother? Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself real quickly to everybody in the audience? Hey, everyone. Sorry I'm late. My name is Jameson Walborn. I run a fully
7: licensed nursery here in Canada. Uh, We specialize in unique And sought after cultivars, and uh, I'm super excited to be here, chatting about uh, PM and butter up.
1: They they don't so everybody is aware they don't have powder mildew in uh, in Alberta. it's it's just doesn't happen. So he decided to just, (laughs) no, I'm just teasing. I'm really do, what do you do? I, we've just kind of run through, what do you do as an IPM regime um, in your space to prevent powdery mildew or bud rot?
7: So for me, the, the, the program that we use is a, a a product called method one. Um, It's a plant prevention spray that I really like. It's really just rosemary oil, peppermint oil, and uh, a few other things, um, you know, like Manly said, Manly said cleanliness is next to godliness. So, you know, as long as you're able to keep clean and stay on a preventive regimen and, and sort of stay in front of it, I've found it a lot easier to try and stay in front of these things than, uh, than get behind and, and, and try and catch up. So that's been super successful for us. And then if we see anything, you know, zero tall is what we what I'd usually go to.
1: Now, Zerotol, I'm hearing a lot about. Can we break down exactly what Xeratol is for the layman in the audience? Maybe, uh, Jameson, since you were you, you brought it up last, I'm going to let you, you do that or we'll let somebody else, if you don't.
7: I, I actually am I'm just tied up in the garden, just doing a few things. So I, uh, I'm going to just sit and be quiet, but I know there's a few other guys up here
1: that can sort of dive into that. Josh, or actually go ahead. You look like you open your mic first. You, you win the race to answer the question.
4: <laughs> um, so Xeritol is a great product um, from BioSafe. It is um, H2O2 and periacetic acid. So a little bit about periacetic acid. Uh, it helps stabilize H2O2 since H2O2 is naturally very volatile. So um, this peracetic acid, um, xeritol is xeritol 2.0, and that's 2% peracetic acid. But it helps stabilize it, so you get better contact time. But it's just a just a robust H2O2, so dries into water and oxygen.
1: I fucking love H2O2 just so everybody is completely aware. I think, I, I think this stuff is great. Um, y- you know, if you, depending on who you are and what you're doing, I might not suggest you uh, the average person run out and get like 30% hydrogen peroxide, but you can get the over the counter stuff. That's at 3%. And that stuff has been used on mama, daddy's cut on, on babies' cuts, on scraped knees in family homes for generations i mean h2o2 hydrogen peroxide is a very safe 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 product um, and essentially it just the it's just reactive and 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 it really helps to eliminate bacteria now one problem with h2o2 um that i do that i have noticed or seen before is that it does strip away anything else like it's not it's it's indiscriminatory like it'll just kill all sorts of everything on the on, on the plant leaf so do we not leave our plants open to infection further by using these products ashley
4: So you definitely only want to use it usually once a week, um, just so you're not wiping away that that cuticle layer. But you can, um, I mean, I've seen people use it right at the end of harvest, you know, final spray just to make sure their crop's clean, but it's essentially like a, it's a plant wash more or less, but recommended definitely once a week, I'd say, just to make sure that cuticle layer stays healthy
1: these are awesome. Thank you for the response. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And Ashley, i
5: got to say I'm glad that uh, you won the race on that description. Mine was definitely not going to be uh, nearly as detailed. Um, I did want to mention, um, having worked with tissue culture and cannabis and powdery mildew, the the species of powdery mildew, the Golovinomyces and the P. macularis, um, there are two strains of powdery mildew that don't actually uh, travel within the plant tissue. They, um, lend on the, on the leaves and they, you know, in fact, they, you know, put the hostorium into the leaf and they infect that way. Um, so you can, you know, if you have a, a really bad infestation and you have, you know, uh, vegetative plants, um, you know, in a worst case scenario, you can, um, do what we, you know, we do in tissue culture. Um, you can you know make a ten percent bleach solution in you know a mason jar and put you know cuttings like you know all the leaves on them still just shove them into the mason jar, uh, put a drop of uh, you know Dawn dish soap in there and shake it up, let it sit there for about five minutes and then uh, run it under some running water for another five minutes and then you know you have to do this also in a clean environment um, and then take her you know clean it up and. Uh, plug up your cuttings. Um, at that point, you also obviously have to do a very deep clean of your space. Um, otherwise, like I said earlier, the powdery mildew will, you know, land and stay on other surfaces. So you need to clean every single surface within that space and, you know, even within the, you know, the air handling systems. Um, but yeah, you can then take those cuttings and, you know, they you can take clean cuttings with uh, by cleaning them
1: off that way. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I love that that point. So, A, you can kind of, you can dip and wash cuttings to prevent powdery mildew to spread from one cutting to another, which is what Josh was breaking down there. But I think one thing that he pointed out really well, and I'm going to add to how uh, I'm a little bit anal. I don't know if everybody else is this anal. I probably don't need necessarily need to be. But when I'm halfway done my cleanup, like when I pulled everything out, cleaned everything down, and, and, and I'm going to put it, and, I, and it's all clean, and set aside and it's ready to go um, and the tents all clean and set aside and ready to go i go wash myself um and and go have a shower or some sort of a quick wash or change maybe my outfit uh and this depending on kind of the time frame i have i have to do this every three weeks when i do my resets every three weeks but it, that's just how my routine goes. Everybody else is different, but I do this every three weeks. I pull everything out and then I'll go ahead and have a shower. Cause this way, cause all this mess and we, you you do all this hard work cleaning your, your space, especially these tents are awesome because you can set them up and create a, a closed climate or atmosphere in a small space. Like you can you could take and, and divide up a space very, very easily but there are a lot of grooves divots there's little spots for things to get into like mold and and fungal spores and these things that will be able to spread out now cleaning them with a bleach water solution is ideal and will definitely beat the crap out of most of these molds Um, and, and, and we'll do them but if you go in there covered in mold spores and dirty after you've cleaned everything off and put and then you load everything back in with your dirty clothes and into your into your tent that's all clean and your plants that are all taken care of and you got you're, you're just going to spread that mold all over your plants and all over the space that you just work so hard to clean up i know probably in a facility like manny's when he clean when they do a cleaning regime like that they would probably change their uh, scrubs out in between um the clean the finish and the and and the, and the wash down um, and a lot of larger facilities do that but at home we don't really think about these little things it's as simple as like making sure we're sure to wear a long sleeve shirt and gloves and then changing your Shirt and gloves in between uh washing just to kind of prevent the the perpetuation of spores because like oh you do all this hard work and cleaning and then two days later you have spores all over your tent and you have mold again it is atrocious now manny uh, or rj I, i'm going to kind of point an interesting side of the direction of the uh, conversation to you a little bit is what do we do or can we do that will prevent um Or what do you see in the final product? Like, I mean, you are uh, an extractor. Are you able, as an extractor, doing solvent extraction? Are you able to pull out mold spores? Is that something that we can avoid in a final product through processing um, if we have a bad rat? Yes.
3: That we can remediate it because, essentially, we can do it through two different ways. Um, I would say solventless extraction is going to be nay impossible unless you have kind of like a a wash routine or something you can do ahead of time that can keep all the trichomes intact Um, but in terms of solvent extraction um, depending on the solvent certain solvents will just neutralize the spores Um, certain solvents will mobilize them to a degree but we're still able to filter them because of the actual size of the spore so going to like a solvent extract, like ethanol or hydrocarbon, um, we can filter well below one micron. We can filter to a half micron. We filter to a third of a micron, point two micron, um, and ultimately, like, no spores are going to make it that far. I think even so far as a three to five micron would probably be able to deal with it. Um, so yeah, the long the long and short of it is yes, we can remediate it uh, specifically uh in solvent extracts solventless is going to really carry through unless you can somehow mitigate it off the plant but i guess you're gonna have to take some
1: tidbits from this conversation and apply it oh we don't want to drop too much because we have got an interesting episode after this i don't want to i don't want to let anybody know it to the end so i wanted to jump over Gord. welcome to this stage are you available to introduce yourself to everybody welcome uncle Gord.
5: Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I just thought I'd drop by. I saw the, the link up there and uh, thought I'd stop by, say hi, see what everybody's got to say. Interesting subject. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, those don't know me, I'm Gord. I'm the master grower, I guess, uh, at uh, North 40 Cannabis, small micro producer in northeastern Saskatchewan.
3: One of the few one of the few worthy
1: of that title, I'll say.
2: Absolutely.
1: Love it. Well, welcome. I'm excited to have you on stage in your input and value added to our conversation. So we're talking about powdery mildew and bud rot. Today, uh, for the first hour of our conversation, before we hop over to the garden party where we all sit down, chat, and get comfortable with these amazing experts, we have uh, Resonate Media broadcasting us all over the place. Manny, I wanted to jump over to you. Um, We've talked a lot about powdery mildew. I'm going to push the conversation a little bit into bud rot. Now, uh, bud rot's a bit different than powdery mildew, as in it's it's a stem mold, right? It's a gray mold, uh, another more gray mold or botrytis. Uh, is, is is the sci- I believe the scientific terminology for it uh, what uh, uh, what would you do or uh, what is your prevention method or what would your be your plan of action if you were to spot bud rot in your or in a facility or in any garden at any point in time what would you do uh, what are your uh, what's your plan of attack when you see that mold or that bud rot?
2: So let me just finish up the last part on the powdery mildew real quick, and then I'll I'll go on to the bud rot. So uh, it's really important. I hear a lot of people talking about the leaf itself. And if you look at uh, cannabis leaves, they have like a waxy coating. If your environment is off, that waxy coating on the leaf gets stripped, and that's when it becomes available to... um, Uh, spores to nest on them and so it's really important to keep that health on the leaves uh, that nice waxy sheen and that'll stop the powdery mildew as well. So bud rot is um, another one that you know bites a lot of people uh, especially uh, outdoors not so much indoors. Um, Air uh, air circulation um, spacing between plants is extremely important so if you find bud rot, the, the quickest and easiest thing to do is to cut away anything that has any type of Botrytis on it and get rid of it. And, uh, it normally, if you catch it early on and, um, you cut that away, you can save the crop, you you know, you're going to lose some buds obviously, but you can still save the crop. And it's important to take a look at your crop and make sure that, like I said, that there's enough airflow, there's enough spacing, that they're not crowded and all of those things will help to, to mitigate getting bud rot. But, um, there's not a lot you can do once you get it. I mean, once it's there, you, you cut it away, throw throw those parts out, and, and hopefully save the rest of it.
1: So I've seen some wacky, wacky stuff out there. One of the things that I, I've seen people take torches to them first to prevent the spread of mold, because one of the biggest worries – uh, and, and issues that people often, often miss or don't know that mold, especially when it gets to the point of a visible mold is at a state of a sexual fruiting body. That means this mold is, is, is putting out spores. It's, 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 it's reproduced. It's ready to get out there and spread its goods all over the place. So if you have a, if you have a grow and you have a big lump mold in the middle of your space going in there and cutting that, that is a very damaging, aggressive action that will cause stirring and these mold spores to dissipate quickly into the air josh how would you go about preventing something like this from happening and this this mold spreading throughout your space because i mean logically if there's a little bit of mold there starting already you could dose up because if you 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 can be as preventative as you want but if you take a whole bunch of mold spores and put it onto a space it's it's going to have enough there to be able to take hold regardless so what would your actions be
5: Um, So with the bud rod, I actually helped someone deal with that recently on an indoor grow. They uh, needed more dehumidification, which they uh, remediated after the fact. But in the moment when we were dealing with it, um, that product I'd mentioned earlier, Regain, I mean, I use this for powdery mildew as well for spot control. Whenever I'm removing anything that's mold related, um, I spray it down with the, the Regain, like give it a good soak so that like powdery mildew and like they can't you know fly when they're wet um powdery mildew also can't um sport like it can't germinate when it's wet it needs humidity not uh, wetness anyway with the bud rot i will spray the the bud the infected area um and then cut that away and put it like i I was carrying a bag with me and I put it directly into that bag it was a really long garbage bag with like i just kind of tied it up so that it had a small opening um, and then, you know, you'd go through and kind of look through the bud and, you know, anything that you saw that had an infection, you again, spray that down, remove it, um, and keep going. Um, and like Manny said, like, uh, he did lose, um, some, you know, buds, we lost some tops that were very pretty, but, uh, at the end of the day, we, you know, saved the harvest and, you know, you know, we had to, you know, look through stuff, you had to be a little more careful, but, um you know, at the end of the day, you didn't have to lose the whole harvest. You just had to be very proactive and go in there, you know, every day. And again, you know, remembering, uh, you know, that uh, these molds, you know, likes um, reproducing, you know, in those uh, nighttime swings. Um, So, you know, if you're close to harvest, um, you know, a lot of people like to do, you know, a 24 or 48 hours of darkness, um, you know, with, if you're having any kind of mold issue, whether it be powdery mildew or botrytis, you know, I, I would strongly recommend not uh, doing that dark uh, period. Um, it likely will not go very well. Um, but uh, yeah, you can definitely, you know, remediate it as best you can. And But yeah, my recommendation would definitely be to, you know, spray that area. Again, you know, you don't want to spray everything, but spray that area so that it's not, you know, spreading those spores within enough space. And then when you cut it off, you, it also will limit the ability for those spores to
2: become airborne. That's a great description, Josh. Really, really nicely done, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, really well done, Dare Josh. I
2: mean, I might go
1: a little bit extreme here, and you guys can tell me if I'm a little bit wacky, but I do the same thing, but I I actually follow up with like I wrap it like a condom, like I wrap a condom around the bud and make sure that not like an actual physical condom, guys, but like a plastic wrap or a bag. And I make sure to really tie it off very tight, at least um, uh, two inches below the infected area. And then I'll actually cut like a, a little bit of an inch below that bag. And that way I know that even if I bump it or something in the process of, of shaking it, where it could be a little bit more aggressive and some of those deeper spores could possibly get out. I find it just, it gives me a little bit more reassurance um, and I find it can be really helpful. So I, I, I think it's better to be safe. sorry, but I love like the spraying everything down is probably efficient enough in that step and process. Now I'd like to bring, I like to talk about another product while we're, kind of in this area is that's becoming very popular and very common in the industry is ionized water. Um, if anybody has, has any particular uh, point of reference for that, they would like to jump in first, or I will popcorn somebody in. Is there anybody that has, has used ionized water before or has experience with Might not be the best talking point then, so I might skip that for now, but essentially it's a water being sold over the counter that's like a one-to-one jug ratio. And you can spray it and use it to wash your plants of, um, of mold spores and prevent them from taking back that one space. Uh, I've seen it specifically, I've seen uh, Green Planet as a whitewash product. Um, and I think most of these things are just pretty much co- pretty close to hydrogen peroxide and water, if I'm not correct. Yes. I do love how that always kind of come how it always kind of comes back to that point of hydrogen peroxide and water being like a big go-to. Now we are kind of getting closer to tail end. We haven't heard much from Anita. I know you have had a, a little bit. I saw an awesome post of yours that got a ton of feedback about powdery mildew in your garden. What have you done so far to remediate and kind of prevent uh, the spread of further action? What, what have you been taking action? with?
6: uh well one of the things uh you know i think that that's most important is just identification of what it is that you're looking at i think that's something that new growers struggle a lot with um is even knowing um what it is that they're looking at or just kind of ignoring it uh i talked to you a little bit about uh my first grow that i did outdoors was uh three years ago um and I lost most of the crop to botrytis, but it started off, um, you know, I saw that there was some PM and I didn't know what it was. Honestly, I thought that, like, I've seen it around before. It didn't seem to hurt plants. I didn't, I didn't understand that, like, it could, like, it, it is something that, you know, you should be getting rid of. Um, I thought that, you know, that, you know, that was a lot of the feedback that I, I received um, with. Uh, you know things that I I talk about on on my social media platforms and stuff but it's it's um, it's even understanding like that uh, it's it's like a lot of people think that it's sunspots or that it's um, somebody said that it was like something like a pool splashing so like some bird chemical damage yeah bird poop exactly and so like it's all these things and or even uh, I've seen where spider mites or uh, thrips damage uh, is sunspots from like watering during the middle of the day, like it's like like a magnifying glass. It's gonna burn holes in you. I'm like the uh, stories that you go around about. It's like no, that that something's wrong with your plant. Like there's some bugs or something, right? Like it's it's it, so that's actually the first thing that is just kind of identifying what is the problem, what's going on, or even that there is a problem because a lot of the times. With bud rot, especially like people don't even recognize it. And one of the things is um, the type of plants that, um, you know, I know that you guys talked a lot about inside grows, but a lot of people are growing outside right now in, in our area in Ontario. I know in a lot of Canada, but it's really super humid over here um and sometimes like um, the first thing that one of the plants that i grew for the first time was um, a grapefruit and the buds are super dense like they're they just are really tight when they're flowering and um some bugs got into it i think died caused a little bit of like you know uh, rotting who knows and then it just kind of encouraged an environment it was a very humid summer too Um, and there you go, Budra. I didn't even know until I was harvesting and, um, it was, it was all pretty sad and I cried a lot, but it was, it was a learning experience. And I want to share it with other people, like, you know, recognize what it is that you're looking at. It's harder to control your environment when it's outside, when the, when the weather's just humid, like, so what are, what are, like, I know prevention is, is key identifying it like as soon as you can. And a lot of people have like you know, the hydro per- hydrogen peroxide is what I've been doing. Um, it's gotten rid of stuff. I've also used this, uh, Buka- uh, this uh, Bukashi uh, wash, Ferminator wash um, that's made with fermented herbs and things like that. So it's like a really safe kind of um, wash and it's supposed to like, um, you know, create a better environment. So it actually like kills that kind of environment that, you know, mold and, and, and mildew would, would be do well in. Um, so you know, I've been doing that. I also know that, you know, it, it does take a few applications and not to overdo it, too. So it it's, it's one of those things that you really need to get to know your plants, right? So I, it's one of the reasons why I love advocating for new growers or new consumers to grow their own um, um, plants, because you really get to know what it is that... Um, like a lot about it, how it works, um, and, and what it goes into taking care of it. So like, um, you're better informed. So anyways, that was the roundabout, uh, uh thing that I'm doing. So, but yeah, a lot of people ask you questions. They don't even know they have a problem and, uh, but yeah, any tips about outside growing? I, you know, I think Manny had a few that, uh, I, I fan, I'm going to get a fan in the back there. Um, so I can make sure that there's some air circulation and, and the genetics, um, you know, just make sure that the the, the things that you want to grow aren't put together, or that they're growing like where where the, the buds are very tight together. So,
2: yeah, some of the some of the home grows I'm I'm seeing, I, I look at the. Um, the way the property or the yards are set up and I can tell just from that that there's very stale air there's not a lot of air movement and if those plants aren't moving they aren't getting some fresh air moving through them that's a that's a good way to get pm for sure so um, you know if you can if you can put a fan outside with uh, with your girls that uh, will give them some airflow that certainly is going to help that's for sure
1: I think that's a big part in general. It's just getting that airflow in there, especially when you get these outdoor plants, they get really quite large and, you, and, and, and it, it takes a lot of effort. And I think, I think one thing to note here is that sometimes a little bit more work in the short run uh, can yield a lot of results in the long run. Um, so, you know, clearing out those plants a little bit uh, before that flip uh, flip over and even into uh, when you're going outdoors into August uh, to allow that airflow, getting your, your fans out there. And you can find some pretty cheap fans off of Facebook marketplaces and stuff like that. Or even get if, if you have a little bit of a ledge on your house, you could put up even uh, even one of those wall mounted, uh, what's it called? Greenhouse fans, if you have enough of the ledge that won't get rained on, that way you can have a nice, powerful fan. Those greenhouse fans are pretty powerful, too. Those are an excellent option by getting that airflow up there and just preventing the space as best you can. Now, Josh has done a little bit of time and effort in specifically looking for genetics. Is there any kind of trait or maybe there, there's I've got some amazing experts in this whole group. Uh, has anybody noticed um, a trait or a specific line of genetics that either does, A does very very well with powdery mildew, mold, or botrytis, um, or if or a, a trait that they have noticed that plants can take um, that directs them towards that that. They notice notices a repetitive line. Like I know, um, the Dutch Dutch Passion Seed Company creates as Frisian Do and Holland Hope, and these have a, a minor duck foot uh, mutation in them. Well, they do have duck feet, foot foot. Du and 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 them have duck mutation in them, um, and they were bred for uh, high humidity powder mildew and botrytis areas they were bred in Holland for outdoor Holland climate so I'm like that's a great example of an outdoor plant to grow do we have any recommendations in the group here of plants that will have a higher chance of survivability now we know all, all plants well you can't always have uh, not every pheno in a pack of seeds not every brother or sister is going to respond exactly the same but you can throw the dice in at least get yourself in a better area so is there maybe i'll roll through the the group here of the cultivators and see if there's certain genetics each one can point them point growers towards manny what would you suggest in a little bit more of a challenging environment to grow um that's resistant to powdery mildew and botrytis
2: Afghani comes to mind right away because it came from a very hot, humid climate. So Afghani's always done really well for me outdoors, and I've never really had problems with uh, with PM. So uh, Afghani for outdoors all the way.
1: Ashley, do you uh, you have a little bit different of a climate? I mean, you probably, you're running indoor anyway, so powder melt is always going to be an issue. What's your? Would you have you seen a strain or a specific thing that? really is counter, uh, productive against powdery mildew.
4: Yeah, I've had a lot of luck with um, all the Durban lines. So she seems to, to always kind of be able to, to fight it off. Pretty resilient. So, um, yeah, I, I'd have good luck with Durban. Do
1: you have a specific uh, breeder of Durban that, that you could bring up? or, or...
4: Um, I, I personally, I'm not cultivating her right now. But um, in the past, I've had, had good luck with them. But, um, yeah, off the top of my head, nothing come breeders don't come to mind. Okay.
1: Josh, you're up next, brother.
5: Yeah, so um, like Manny said, Afghans, definitely. I hunted through some Afghans and found a, uh, a PM-resistant phenol. Um, but, yeah, like you said, you know, like not everything in the pack is going to be PM-resistant. And then there's going to be a level of resistance as well. Some will, you know, only get a, a spot here and there throughout the entire cycle or other ones will get covered right at the beginning. Um, but as far as breeders uh, or lines that I've used or worked with, um, I've grown some of the platinum kush breath and the platinum jelly and was also told that, you know, anything that platinum touches from in-house genetics uh, tends to be PM resistant and, and of the three phenotypes that I've played with. Um, All three were PM resistant um, and like they were tested. I had them in environments where I let PM go rampant um, just to see. uh, The strawberry bananas that I've seen have been exceptionally uh, loved by PM on the other hand. Um, But yeah, uh, those platinums in the afghan definitely were uh, actually PM resistant. Like you'd shake the PM over top of them, let the spores land on it, you know, uh, and nothing would grow. So those ones for sure.
2: Hey, just just before we get uh, we get to Anita and and Jameson and Gordon Corey, I I just want to say one thing that's that it's important to to say. Okay, if you do get some powdery mildew in flour, okay, the crop is not lost. You can wash that and it'll pass microbial testing. I've done it. It's passed. It works. And I, I've taught this method to a lot of people, and I I do bud washing all the way through. I, I uh, whether it's got uh, PM or not, I'm going to wash those buds. But you don't have to throw that crop out. I mean that's that's a that's a a, a, a misguided approach that's out there from, from people because they don't understand that there is something that they can do for it.
1: So. I think there's a, this is an opportune time because we are going to have a, a part of our next episode talk a lot about this. We're going to run through about washing, and I think it's a very important thing, and it's a lot not talked about or 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 part of the conversation nearly as much in my opinion as it should be like let's put it this way we want to move towards organic ipm regimens where we're using like i've said you guys photo i have a large powerful population of rover beetles that feed off of gnats that provide a whole circular scale of eating you know i have, I have hypolysis, and there's a whole group and micro Ecosystem in my plant canopy, in my plant root system. There is also praying mantises and and other uh, mites that are defensive in the in my canopy. There are bug carcasses, poop, skin of. I mean, like praying mantises shed their exoskeleton ten times, and they're not. They're pretty small in the earlier stages. I don't care how organic you are. I think it's. I think it's valuable to have this idea in your mind that you can wash cannabis that you can rinse it um, when you have a dead carcass of a bug or a bug poop sitting on your bud or in your plant and you dry it even if it tastes fine and it does no effect on the flavor the likeliness of mold taking root in that dirty red this poop is it's, it's where mold grows right so it, it really is very valuable to the home grower or to any grower in general to ha- open this up as a thought process and a mind. I think I think it's necessary if it's done appropriately and intelligently. It has no negative effect on the plant and only benefits it in the long run, um, and and creates a, a, a way better product. So I think we should devote a, a larger section of conversation towards that. Josh, you had a remark um, in response. Did you want? To, I don't want to dig too much into this because I think this is a great whole episode.
5: Yeah, no, actually, I just kind of wanted to add to what Manny was saying. And um, with hash, uh, bubble hash, uh, uh, PM, like um, RJ was saying, if you use a a, a, a screen that's like in that three to five micron uh, range, you're going to stop those spores. And that's entirely accurate. A powdery mildew spore on average is around 15 to 30 microns in width to length. Um, and I have experimented with um, uh, powdery mildew-covered product and using uh, bubble bags and, uh, you know, washing that through extremely well. with the, In the 45 bag, I was able to, after 10 minutes of washing with a sprayer, um, not detect any um, hyphae or any uh, powdery mildew spores um, under a microscope. And... Um, that said, um, I have not had that sent in for testing. So I am, you know, I'm not going to say without a doubt that I cleaned out my, you know, my hash entirely. Um, but, um, you know, if you're a healthy individual and you've smoked cannabis, um, chances are very good that you've smoked probably more powdery mildew than anyone would like to admit. And, you know, if you're saving a product, if you wash that product really well, do not collect a 25 bag. Um, I... I have tested that one as well and i cleaned it for 20 minutes trying to remove stuff and there was still you know you could find fragments of the the mycelium and the hyphae in there and the the every every now and again a spore um but yeah i was able to clean visually the uh the 45 bag after 10 minutes of washing
1: <clears throat> as a point of conjecture and a point of, of, of motion in that direction, too, when we're talking about using beneficial bacterias in our plants and using them as a defense protocol, you know, like we're using beneficial bacteria to outpopulate uh, bad bacteria. So there's bacillus structures that you can dip your plants in and um, that's perfectly healthy, and perfectly viable. Now, these bacteria, I don't know how they do so well on COAs, but the fact of the matter is, is bacteria create myototoxins in general and whether they're beneficial or uh, problematic to the plant, we still don't know all the sciences behind uh, exactly what happens when you combust that material and smoke it on a regular basis. Um, so you can. So I think even if you're in an organic and you don't have a powdery mildew and you've maintained a clean environment, I think it's it's, it's valuable in the long run. Uh, Anita, it, so you've probably done a little bit of research over the last little bit on kind of strains that you run. Do you have anything planned up for next year um, that you think will be very resistant or will be a little bit more helpful? Um, the
6: I've been growing the my uh, my CBD plant. It's a sweet seeds, pure CBD um, for about three years now, and every time I've like in the middle of PM and Bud Rot, it never gets anything. Like it, not it, like it's a a warrior survivor like and so i love growing her um i so i'm gonna just keep growing her too and then i haven't found anything but i'm actually writing down all the suggestions that everybody else said um about other ones that are PAM resistant just because it's a pain in the ass and if if i can avoid it outside i'm gonna and um um sometimes the weather is just shit and you you can you can do everything that you you can but it still comes And so like um um that, well, yeah, I'll pay, I'll but yeah, I'm gonna do one of those, I guess, next year.
2: Mother Nature always has the final say, doesn't she? Right. That's true. <laughs>
1: It's like uh, uh, people get nervous about talking about powdery mildew and having problems and stuff like that. But, I mean, if you haven't had an issue before or if you have a problem talking about it, you need to get over it. It's, it's, it's a constant battle. And it, we, I love having this discussion that we've been flat about. And just like, okay, well, if you deal with it, you got to deal with it. It's a problem. It's what it is. Jameson. You have, like, you're a big phenol hunter. Um, But I know, like, sometimes as the phenol hunter, we we get really focused on, like, I really want to find this flavor. And we forget about all those other things, like, hey, does it have resistances and is it strong? Uh, But through your experience, have you found any specific strains or genetics that have a strong resistance to powdery mildew or bud rot? Welcome. How you doing, brother?
0: Yeah, uh, no, I think a bunch of them have said Afghan again, definitely happening. And then uh, I think grapefruit for me has been the one uh, that just seems to not want to get anything. Uh, I've had it with plants, you know, like I mentioned before, kind of the same effect where there plants right next to it and nothing seems to be uh, taking it through. So for me, uh, yeah, the grapefruit has been uh, been a pretty special one in that regard.
1: I think, I think you, your own point there, there's also, there's a great aspect that Anita brought up too, is it's is kind of about finding a genetic or a plant that's, that's resistant. Maybe if you're even a new, on the newer end of growing, that you might be more inclined to find a local uh, producer of clones or a nursery like uh, Jameson has called Big Leaf Genetics or, uh, you know, Manny has... I'm not going to vouch for anybody's nursery except for who introduced himself having a nursery. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you can find local people that have genetics that they've run outdoor before. It can be super helpful too. Anita, look like you want to say something.
6: Well, I was just going to say as a as a thought. You know, that's one uh, area of of you know the sales part too that's been totally neglected. Like, you know, we've talked a little bit about like the lack of seed options in the legal market in Canada. Um, but, um, the genetics like that, um, would be a bit, like, you know, that would be really welcome here. Um, I think, um, would be those ones that would be resistant to the weather in certain areas. And that would be a very easy to like, you know, so I think, um, you know, it, it's something that I just, it just kind of popped in my head. Cause there's, there isn't anything in the legal market. Right. So, I mean, there is, but it's there's not it hasn't been tested it it's just seeds and so um it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the the next couple of years with that though for sure
1: yeah it seems seeds in general are more of uh for the canadian market legal market uh are, are very directed uh towards like an afterthought like there really is not anything put into them ashley you look like you had a response
4: So just one strategy, you know, you can't take enough notes and make observations, but, you know, one strategy that you can, you know, if you've got um, strains that you really like and want to keep around, you can set up your room in three different zones. You can have a red zone, a yellow zone, and a green zone. All your more problematic strains, if you put them into kind of a red zone, if you know you're naturally going to get them, But you can kind of compartmentalize them in the room. It can kind of save some of your other crops. So if you're um, really liking a certain cultivar, you can can set your room up to benefit yourself easily.
1: Because there are definitely those special cultivars that are a pain in the butt to grow and they come with lots of challenges. But that's part of the fun, right? It's all the challenges. So I'm going to open the floor up for a little bit of closing remarks. Um, if anybody in the audience wants to have a direct as any direct question, actually, you know what, we'll hold off till the after room because we're currently recording still. Um, does anybody have any closing remarks for today's uh, conversation? Otherwise, I'm going to do our finale here. Go ahead and flash the mic if you like.
3: I'll just butt in real quick and say uh, to clarify, uh, Botrytis, in terms of extraction, I would just scrap that product. There's not even, I wouldn't try to remediate it. PM, doable, like Josh was saying, just based on solvent and, and particle size. Um, but definitely not uh, as big of a problem as a lot of people make it out to be. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in, everyone.
1: Hey, RJ, can we, j- I just want to dip into that a little bit further, if you don't mind. Okay. So so is with the botrytis and the bud rot, i mean is what specifically does it just make the plant material unworkable because it's rotten
3: oh yeah absolutely it's just to me it's past the point so there's this- like there's no chance of bringing it back you know what i mean versus pm it's more of a surface thing and we can mitigate it due to particle size but in terms of botrytis though it's just game over
1: Game over for the Bud Rock Botrytis team. So, any other finishing up statements for today?
2: I'm just going to reiterate a lot of what RJ said. That you know, we do, or not a lot of people do, make PM out to be a lot worse than it can be. If if caught early on, it's controllable and it's still a a good product. It's uh, it's just following a regiment and uh, making sure it gets cleaned up before it's consumed. So that's it.
1: I think I think another point we touched on there that you just reminded me of is is also don't go to don't go extreme like Corey mentioned you know like just because a product might show that it could help do a little bit of research and watch your dosage because you could create toxicities at the same time Ashley, go ahead
4: um cleanliness is key so I mean prevention I can't speak more or can't speak enough about it it's just you're always going to be chasing your tail if you're not just trying to prevent anything from happening. But what I would also recommend is if you, you know, if you're curious in trialing a product, call that company and try to talk to somebody in customer service. You can gain a lot about the legitimate research behind it or experience just by calling. I've learned that so much in my career, call and speak to the professionals. That's what they're there for.
1: Well said. I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but I love talking to people that are experts. And if I have a question about a nutrient in this nutrient company, I'm going to call them. And on top of that, it's going to give you a great insight on who they are as people. By um, having an actual face to face conversation, because I find a lot of these products that are coming out in BC, there are a huge amount of nutrient and, and, and companies and, and large amounts of products. I, I don't know exactly the reason for that being, but it just seems to be heavy. There's you know, Remo, Green Planet, there's uh, Gaia Green, they're, they're all uh, Blue Sky. All, oh, no, Gaia Green isn't, but Blue Sky is. Uh, they're all BC based companies. Um, so there's lots of these products out there here. And I think the most important thing is like a lot of them, some of these are made, some of these products are made out of the same thing. There's a lot of companies that will just formulate products for people. So it's, it's, it's important that if you're going to follow a line of products or follow a specific system to also have, a, in my opinion, an alignment with how they are as a company and what they represent. Um, if they don't care, and they and and their customer service is horrendous, and they answer the phone and they're in a terrible, you know, grouchy rudeness, you know, you're probably not going to be the direction of the company that I'm going to go go towards. But I will definitely make that call and not shy away from that because I think it's about building relationships. A um, little bit of a rant there, but do we have any other close remarks? Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. It has been an awesome show. I'm going to open up the garden party right after this, which is the cannabis garden party where we get together with the experts and just have a little bit more casual of a conversation and chat. So don't uh, don't go anywhere. Make sure to click the Dank Hour Club. Follow the club so that you can see us open our next room up, which is the garden party right after this, where we're all going to get and bring everybody up on stage and have a conversation. I see you, son, Angela, Cordy, right you now. Damon DB Jeff Aiden David and Johnny actually I see you guys we're gonna bring you up on stage in our next room I'm looking forward to it and appreciate each and one of you each and every one of you RJ Manny Ashley Josh Anita Jameson. Corey, thank you all so very much. I appreciate each and every one of you for coming up on these crazy, weird days and having these awesome conversations and 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 sharing this great information in the world. So do uh, check out because I I am releasing all of these shows. We are brought we are simulcasting over to the YouTube verse um, as well as Twitch. We do have uh, we do record the audio and do um, YouTube episodes as well. So make sure to follow everybody and get in there because we have amazing conversations. We had one a few weeks ago that is already posted up there about Paul. Avoid mutations and unique plant genetics um we have a newsletter so if you click on me and uh go to my website you can also sign up there for a free mini course but if you sign up for the free mini course you'll also get entered into our newsletter and we will let you know ahead of time about all the cool happenings going on here at the bank hour and all the amazing shows because there is a lot of stuff coming up guys you don't want to miss any of it so make sure to get in and follow thank you all so much i appreciate it i'll see y'all in the garden party
0: And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the Resonate Radio Podcast. Thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. We appreciate the downloads, the follows. Leave us a review if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast. Please subscribe and hit the bell over on YouTube and Twitch. You can find us over there at Resonate Media. You can also find us on Instagram at Team Resonate also send us an email to info at i hope you all have a wonderful day and thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to us here on resonate radio we'll see you again next time thank you